morning everyone welcome to invisible a master class in global education powered by brain wonders in partnership with helios edcore ambi class and fortado school of music the third edition of master class series will take you on a short journey of transformation we are so thrilled to introduce you with 30 global educators from 30 different countries in this master class innovative topics informative content and progressive ideas are being shared with you we remain hopeful that this and forthcoming sessions will inspire you to bring about that possible change to take your school community into a new direction of development my name is namrata and i will be your moderator for today i represent india's largest counseling organization brain wonders with 108 global centers Brain Wonders has been revolutionizing the face of academic guidance, career development, and personal growth via its US patented DMIT and online psychometric tests. Founded by Mr. Manish Nairu, over the past decade, Brain Wonders has been nationally awarded on seven different platforms, including recognition for being the most trusted and digitally innovative career counseling company. Excellence and passion is what Brain Wonders strives for. And with that, let's begin today's session. Before I welcome today's speaker, I request all our audience to immerse themselves in the session and hold their questions, which will be addressed right after the session. I present to you now today's speaker, Gudmundur Hengner Jonsson, who's joining us from South Korea. Originally from Iceland, Gudmundur went on to be educated at the University College London and then the University of Sheffield, where he studied archaeological science. He has directed numerous research excavations for UCL, the National Museum of Iceland, and the University of Cambridge, focusing mostly on Viking Age and medieval settlements. Gudmundur has always had a love of music and studied at the Reykjavik Academy of Singing and Vocal Arts, and then the Royal Academy of Music, London, as a bass vocalist. He has performed various operatic roles and given numerous leader and oratorial recitals. As an educator, Gudmundur has worked for international schools in Serbia, Italy, China, and the United Arab Emirates prior to joining the Dulwich College, Seoul. Gudmundur was also a rector of the United World College, Red Cross Nordic, on the west coast of Norway. He is passionate about community service appreciated inquiry and the role of critical thinking playing in the further democracy and citizenship. Gurmundur joins us today with close to 20 years of experience. Gurmundur has taught theory of knowledge, geography, music, and critical thinking, and has worked mostly within the international baccalaureate framework. He has an MA in education from the Westminster Institute of Education in Oxford Brookes University. Over to you, Mr. Janssen. Thank you, Namrata. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with all of you here today. Um, and I thank you. I thank Brain Wonders for, for giving me this opportunity, for participating in this very exciting um, educational series of presentations from, from educators around the world. It's very exciting. So I'm thrilled to be here. Um, today, what I would like to do is I would like to give you some insights into my experience as an educator, as a as a citizen of the world. Uh, I like to think of myself as being a citizen of the globe. Um, Namrata touched upon the fact that me and my family, we have worked, we have lived in so many different locations. And growing up as a child, I worked, sorry, well, I, I grew up in many different countries. So I consider myself to be a product, if you like, if you can call, my, call a person a product of international education, global education. So my presentation today has the title Education in a Time of COVID. Um, I felt that that was apt given our current situation. So if you'll give me a moment, I'm going to share my presentation with you. I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes giving you some insights into what I feel about the state of education today and what uh, and the exciting prospects that the future holds. Uh, and then, of course, you will have an opportunity 
to ask questions and I'll endeavor to give you the best answers that I can. So give me just a moment. So as Namrata uh, told you, um, I am currently the head of college. Um, I'm very fortunate to, to have this opportunity to lead a college here in the very exciting city of Seoul. Um, this city of, of over 20 million people is an incredibly exciting environment. And the college itself is a wonderfully dynamic community of about 700 students right in the heart of the city, just south of the Han River. Um, I have worked in education for, well, nigh on 20 years. And prior to being in education, I worked in archaeology. I worked as an archaeologist. And I also had the opportunity of using my voice to sing, uh, which um, I try to do still today. I'm not going to sing for you now, though. I promise. Um, so here we go. The next 30 minutes. Insights into what's inside my head as an educator. So, originally from Iceland, there it is, in the grips of winter. Um, it has, it, it, its name is apt, but it is also very green in the summertime, trust me. Um, I, given my background and the way in which I have lived my life to date, I consider myself very much to be a global citizen. Um, I have taught geography for a number of years. And I love asking children the question, where are you from? Because I understand that in today's world, that the answers to those questions are increasingly complex. In many ways, we have to start, I think, rephrasing and reframing that question. Um, because no longer do we live in a world where people live within their national boundaries. We have become an increasingly global population. Um, COVID-19. This is the experience that the, my community here in Seoul has lived through and continues to live through. Um, this year has, has been incredibly challenging for, for our community, for our parents, for our teachers, for our students, accommodating a landscape that has entirely changed. As you well know, the educators here today, we had to adopt online teaching virtually overnight. And that of course presented considerable challenge, but it's been remarkable to see nonetheless that our teaching community worldwide has really shown, and I think people now have a, if they didn't really truly value the role, uh, the roles of a teacher, they, they truly do now. They understand the challenges and the complexities and the wonderful opportunities that the teaching profession gives us. Um, Working with young children and watching them grow, watching them develop and nurturing their pathway, pathways of growth is a, is a wonderfully rewarding um, vocation. Um, these challenges, of course, as with any challenge, there is the flip side, there is the opportunity. These challenges that we're currently facing on a global scale are also showing us some very exciting opportunities, not only in terms of how we could possibly start to reimagine education uh, for the future, but also looking back at what we feel has worked well and what we feel hasn't worked. Now, you'll see in this image, this is an image that could have been taken anywhere in pretty much any school on the planet. We've got the teacher standing at the front. Um, we have students inside a classroom sitting row upon row upon their desks, eager to learn, hunger, hungry to understand what the world has to offer them and how the world works. Um, for me, it's provided an opportunity to really ask the fundamental questions, the, the fundamental philosophical questions that underpin what it means to, to educate, to be an educator. What is truly of value in education? Um, and further to that, how do we attempt to measure and define success and excellence in education? Um, I think traditionally we have uh, assessed 
progress, we have assessed and determined success in often quite narrow ways through, for example, public examinations where we have defined success in often very narrow terms. Um, we see that there are a number of students who really thrive within this definition of success, but we also see that there are a number of students who really do not thrive, who find this narrow definition very challenging. Um, I've, had, I've had the wonderful opportunity of teaching uh, critical thinking to students and teaching theory of knowledge, which I absolutely love. And the role that critical thinking plays, that creative thinking plays, is in my mind of absolute, is, is absolutely critical in terms of being able to give young people the opportunity to build skill sets that are of fundamental importance in this increasingly complex world. So at Dulwich College, as I said before, we've had the, the experience of online education uh, combined with face-to-face -face education uh, hybrid learning or blended learning and we've built up considerable expertise in this area um, but thinking back to this picture if we look at our next image there isn't much difference apart from the fact that of course this picture is in black and white taken towards the end of the 19th century we've got young people sitting again in a classroom um, row upon row next to their desks Fundamentally, there hasn't been a considerable change in this, well, in over a century. Um, education, I think, by its very nature is conservative in its essence. Um, we group children according to their age, according to their, well, mostly according to their age. I've talked about that wonderful question, where are you from? We don't group them according to where they're from, but one could ask the question, well, why not? If we're grouping them according to age, well, we could be grouping them according to other criteria too. Um, these are all interesting questions and they're worthwhile. Um, it's worthwhile that we, that we stop and ask these questions because in the very busy nature of education, um, it's easy to lose sight of these fundamental questions. We should always be questioning um, all of the assumptions that underpin the, the systems, the learning environments that we build as educators. Now, I wanted to, in, my, in these next few slides, just talk about some of the challenges that we currently face um, as a global community. And that we, the challenges that we very much see in evidence through our working with young children on a daily basis. We talk about a mental health crisis, um, particularly in the age range of 14 to 19. Um, children today, exhibit a range of challenges that we haven't seen. They are unprecedented and they are on a global scale. Um, looking at just a few of those statistics, 20% of youth ages 13 to 18 live with a mental health condition, um, or 10% of youth have a behavior or conduct disorder. Um, suicide, which is of course a tragic occurrence, uh, third leading cause of death in young children or young people ages 10 to 24, young adults. Um, and the statistics go on to paint a very disturbing and, and worrying picture um, of, the, of the challenges, of the mental health challenges that our young people, our young adults face today. And as educators, we have the responsibility of not only attempting to understand why, what has brought about these, these mental health challenges in our young people, but also facilitating solutions together with, of course, health professionals in order to ensure that they go on to have uh, meaningful lives where they thrive and are happy where their well-being is, is key. We've seen also over the course of the latter half of the 20th century, and we see it still, um, the trend continues in these first two decades of the 21st century, but voter apathy increasingly across the globe. You can see there a trend line moving downwards over that period of time of about 70 years. 
And of course, there are many exceptions to this. We've just seen the elections in the United States with a record turnout, um, which is certainly encouraging. So of course, there are exceptions to this. But nonetheless, on a global scale, we do see this increasing voter apathy. Um, and we have to ask ourselves the questions, what brings about this apathy? And what can we do to ensure that our young people, particularly coming into that age of being able to vote, what is it that turns them off from politics? And how can we foster active citizenship within our young people? But of course, they are active citizens at all stages in their life, uh, regardless of the fact of whether they're able to vote or not. Alongside these uh, worrying trends, we also see the fact that unilateralism has been on the rise over these last years. Um, we've seen barriers, border walls being built across the globe. In many cases, they are physical and they are real. And in other cases, they are imagined. Um, we at Dulwich College, we talk about building bridges to the world. And we feel very strongly that the way forward is is to combat these barriers and borders um, in order to facilitate a shared understanding of our human condition. And I just wanted, I included that quote there by one of my favorite authors, uh, Michael Ondatje. We are the real countries, not the boundaries drawn on maps with the names of powerful men. Um, this I feel is, is such a powerful statement, uh, particularly in this modern day. I just wanted to show you a clip, a very short clip here. Of course, the another challenge that we face, that humanity faces today, is the climate emergency. And, and I wanted to show you this graphic, some of you may have seen it recently, um, of the increasing average global temperature that has been rising over the course of the 20th century and continues to rise at an increased pace. So these are the anomalies, and you can see that the pale colors, the blues, the yellows, etc. Uh, this is where you have temperatures within the average, the, the, the global average or the regional averages. And as the years progress, we start to see that the anomalies exceed those averages and they turn to the oranges and the reds. And as we enter the 21st century, the colors become overwhelmingly red. Um, and it is clear that this, this climate emergency, uh, this challenge is really puts all of the other challenges, makes them almost seem insignificant. And so, again, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing as educators today to actively educate young people and our communities that we lead, that we inhabit? Uh, how do we educate them about this challenge? And how do we meaningfully embed um, education about this, this challenge within the curriculum initiatives that we foster within our schools? Because this is not going away. It's real and it's here and it's now. Um, I would argue that, well, certainly in my case, in the majority of schools that I've worked at, um, there have been initiatives to, to educate about issues around the climate change, around climate change, around sustainability. Uh, but it is incredibly difficult to do this in very meaningful ways. And we have to find ways forward with this. And of course, there are examples around the world. Uh, I'll come on to those in just a moment of schools that do really get to grips with, with this issue. This, uh, this image I, I, I placed here in the presentation to, to symbolize what I would consider to be the challenges around well-being, community well-being, and the burnout that I see in so many people that I work with and in colleagues that I work with, but also in, in some of our students as well. Um, the undue pressures that many of our educators and our students are placed under in an effort to meet the criteria that we attach to our de or the, the sort of accepted definitions of success and of excellence. 
And this, of course, relates back to, um, in some ways, the mental health challenges that our young people face. And for me, this is, this is again, another key issue, which, as an educator, I feel a great deal of responsibility in exploring and fostering within the communities that I inhabit, within the community that I inhabit here in, in South Korea and Seoul. Um, we have to... We have to engage in, in healthy dialogue um, around these definitions of success, what it means to be successful, um, and the narrow ways in which we have defined success. And it's very easy to say this, but of course, in reality, a, a, an, incredibly, uh, an incredibly difficult challenge to, to tackle in, in ways that will result in, in meaningful change. But of course, all good change starts with small change. So this is something that I, that I hold close to my heart. Now, I just wanted to show you, now I talked about some of the exciting things that schools are doing and that educators are doing around the world. This is literally just a, a, a snapshot of some of those initiatives. Um, this is a picture actually from Dulwich College Seoul from the early years. Um, where we have this wonderful tree that was placed in this space, bright, open space. Um, our, our curriculum in the, in, within, the, within the younger years is very much based on um, inquiry from, and stemming from Kath Murdoch's work and her research on, on the way in which young people learn, where learning through play, learning through uh, engaging in dialogue with our young children, uh, learning what excites them about the world around them, what excites them about each other, and then building upon that excitement and that interest to really foster development and growth. Uh, another aspect which I'm very excited about is if we think about the learning environments, we think back to probably most of the classrooms that we have inhabited and, and inhabit today, classrooms tend to be quite traditional in, in, their, in their design. You know, we have these cubes that we put people into and corridors that attach cube to cube. Um, most schools that I've certainly visited absolutely employ that model. Um, but there are many examples of ways in which schools have started to look at the assumptions that underpin the design and the architecture in providing stimulating, colorful environments, uh, where we start to break down those boundaries uh, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the borders and the barriers between those individual spaces. Um, and that also aligns with the fact that we are starting to see, and we've, well, we've seen this development over the last few, two or three decades, and that continues at an even, even faster pace today, whereby the boundaries between individual subjects are becoming blurred, where we're seeing these exciting multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary approaches to knowledge and understanding. Um, and again, ed education often is very conservative in being able to catch up with many of these exciting initiatives. Um, and there is extensive research out there which shows that giving young people stimulating and exciting environments, and not only young people, us adults too, um, promotes well-being, promotes positive mental health, physical health, and ultimately, if you're if happy mind, um, healthy body, strong learning. This is a picture I took a few years ago. I had the opportunity to visit a school in Armenia, in the northern part of Armenia, Dilijan. This is the United World College Dilijan. An extraordinary campus, and of course, very fortunate in having some strong financial backing here in, in building and designing a, a very exciting campus with these uh, stimulating learning environments. You can see there that the, they, they, they've broken up the lines, lots of big, open, bright spaces, breakout spaces, also the, the classrooms and the corridors, but very, very open. Sit and, and, and being able to pull out and build lots of different spaces according to the needs of the curriculum um, at any given time. This is a school which I have yet the pleasure of visiting, 
This is the Green School in Bali, in Indonesia. And uh, this is a school that lives and breathes sustainability, uh, building and nurturing a strong bond with the natural world. There is a, almost a seamless, well, you can't really talk about a transition or a, or a, or, or a, or a boundary between the learning that goes on and the experience and the engagement with the outdoor world, with the natural environment. Um, a school I had, the, I, had a, I had a wonderful opportunity back in February to visit India, uh, just as COVID-19 was sort of becoming a, 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 a very significant issue. I had the opportunity to visit Mahindra College, just west of Pune, uh, an extraordinary campus um, in, in a very uh, beautiful location, set in the middle of a biodiversity reserve. And Mahindra College um, engages with issues of resource management and sustainability in really exciting ways. They manage their water very carefully, drawing it from their local river. They work with their local communities to uh, bring them onto the campus. The campus goes out into the local communities and there is a, there is a mutual um, relationship there of, 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 of understanding and respect, which is incredibly powerful. So if you ever get the opportunity to visit Mahindra College, I encourage you to do so. An extraordinary place set in the most beautiful, beautiful um, region of, uh, of that part of India. Now, I, I wanted to um, sort of close by, I, we've talked about um, the ways in which education can often be quite traditional. And of course, the modern world today, we're seeing so many interesting, exciting opportunities and initiatives. And technology has been, has facilitated a wealth of opportunity uh, that is absolutely unparalleled. Um, if we think back to the first half of the 20th century, when knowledge, the knowledge was, was absolutely equated to power. Um, and those who held that knowledge, they held the power. And with the arrival of the internet, with the arrival of the social media, this extraordinary expansion of information generation, um, this has been blown apart. Um, never before have we had opportunities to engage with knowledge, with information, develop understanding in the ways that we can today. Um, and that is, that is fascinating because we still cling on to this, this model of you go to school from a young age, you graduate, you go on to university, tertiary education, um, or you go on to a, or, or you go on to a, a, a vocational pathway, um, and then you enter a career. And this is the, the, the model that we've adhered to for, well, not just decades, but for the last two centuries at least. And this model, there are, so many exciting ways in which we can start to pull apart this, this model and break it down into these individual building blocks whereby we can start to ask ourselves the question, well, okay, does it really have to be this way? I mean, I think back to myself when I was a young undergraduate, was I well suited at the time of being, what, 18 years old to going to university for three years and making the best of every opportunity that was presented to me? Absolutely not. As a young man um, facing, you know, the, the, this the, the life and all the complexities that is associated with with, with living and being a young person, um, there were so many missed opportunities, and I think that is true for a lot of young people today. Uh, but thankfully, we're seeing so many different exciting opportunities. For example, one uh, of these examples, micro credentials, which I think are incredibly exciting, where you can really build your own educational journey tailored to your individual interests. We have so many platforms available today. Here are just three which I really like uh, because I'm a, I'm a bit of a geek. I like coding and programming. Um, Udacity is, uh, is a wonderful example whereby you can get micro degrees and you can build that up and they're, they're, the courses that you take can even be recognized by university programs that you may tap into later. Um, you've got edX, you've got Coursera, and the list goes on and on. 
There are so many opportunities there. And increasingly what we're seeing today is young people taking these opportunities with both hands to really build up their own educational pathways, which really uh, divert away from that traditional model, which still schools today will often attempt to really drive people down or through that sort of funnel, which again, I think is, is quite a narrow definition of the way in which you can progress your education. And this, these opportunities, for example, micro-credentialing is, is fosters lifelong learning. Um, there's no reason why you would, I think, necessarily have to go to university directly after secondary education. There are so many different pathways. And I think schools nowadays are really starting to realize the potential that these opportunities have to offer um, and are starting to engage with them. And that's very, very exciting. The, this, this slide I'm showing you here, um, I talked about critical thinking. I talked about creative thinking. And for me, schools in our environments, which often will, they may pertain or they may say that they celebrate critical thinking um, and they celebrate creative thinking. But, and I think that is often more true in the sort of younger sections of schools where they're often diverse, rich in color, there's more excitement and the closer those children get to those public examinations, to those older year groups, the color sort of drains from the schools and the opportunity to be able to think outside the box, to think openly about problems and opportunities, those opportunities become less frequent um, because the way, the pressures that are generated through having to consume so much content in order to meet that sort of narrow definition of success um, will, I think, at times often limit the ways in which you can be creative and think critically about the world. And of course, these two modes of thinking are totally interlinked. You cannot have one without the other. Um, so this is something that I'm very passionate about. And I absolutely know, and, I, and I've, I've seen evidence of it multiple times, that schools can really get to grips with fostering an understanding of both of these types of thinking. Um, and now during this pandemic, with all of the, the uh, controversy that surrounded, for example, the international baccalaureate examinations and the, the IGCSEs and the GCSEs, and of course, other examples across the world, uh, not only have educators started to question why it is that we produce these very narrow definitions, but parents and, and students as well. So there's a, there's a growing momentum, I think, to really revisit the way in which we design our systems of assessment. And uh, it's an opportune time. Um, there are so many alternatives, of course, to, to, to assessing the way in which young people learn. Um, here is just a sample um, of of initiatives that one, schools can start to employ or, or even governments could start to employ in finding alternatives. If you ever get the opportunity to read this book, which I've showed you here, slight plug, The Test by Anya Kamenetz, a very, very well thought out, um, intriguing read about the ways in which we could really start to reimagine the assessment drives within schools. Um, and I won't go into those each of those individual um, uh, examples there, we haven't got time. Um, outdoor education is something that I'm also very passionate about. I think coming back to the climate emergency, I think one of the, one of the contributing factors to, to societies often not really engaging with the climate emergencies in ways, in ways which they should, is that we've broken that link, we've severed that link between the natural world and that human world. Increasingly, we've become urbanized and the outdoors, we enter the outdoors from the indoors and increasingly we spend time in front of our screens, um, engaging in urban environments and, and, and fostering being able to break out and re-establish that link between the, the indoor and the outdoor, where 
young people can meaningfully really start to reflect upon what the natural world represents to them uh, is, is of huge importance. There is no planet B. We, the time is here, the time is now, and if we lose sight of this opportunity, and it is a unique one, then um, we will be presenting future generations with challenges, I think, that will, our, our current challenges will pale into insignificance, I think, without a shadow of a doubt. And um, the Sustainable Development Goals, this is a great way into um, this issue for educators in designing their curriculum, engaging their communities to look at ways in which they can explore all of these goals in attempting to, to educate about the, the current climate emergency and the solutions for today and the future. So I will, that's it. We are out of time. The 30 minutes is up. I've enjoyed talking to you today. I hope you uh, have enjoyed it too. And I look forward to um, hearing some of your questions. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, we are we now open the platform for the audience to engage with our speaker today for any questions that they might have, and I'm sure there would be many. It was definitely a very, uh, very, very good walkthrough of what you had provided us. You know, if I could put it like that, because there were a lot of nuances that you had observed, and I must say that the the situations that you presented us with and the solutions that you presented us with are not restricted to a COVID crisis, you know. It was aimed more at, let's say, um, hopefully reducing such crisis because where, where humans are responsible for a lot of things, you know. And I think that is why this session holds a lot more value in today's scenario and the generations to come because it, it is definitely something that everywhere, it is a common concern faced worldwide, but at the same time, it is a common, uh, the, the, the world together is a source of the problem as well. And that's why educating the young minds is very, very important regarding the very same thing. And being the educator, the responsibility, the onus falls on us. So that is why I feel that it was very important how you, you know, presented us with a lot of facets that we need to consider and we need to consider them right now. We so, too, I couldn't uh, agree more. <laughs> so we have a lot of feedback for you. Uh, for example, uh, I'll just read it out for you so that you can also understand it. So we have principal of RIS who said that yes, the session was quite engaging and enriching. And she expresses her gratitude. And then we have Rasna Joshi who says that it was well, definitely a very informative and interesting session. Thank you. We have uh, some questions coming in. So the audience, you can continue to post the uh, questions in the chat box or you can use the activity section as well. Uh, right for now, Dr. Shivananda CS is asking um, first, yes, this, he really appreciates your views on openness on teaching and assessment and is asking how do we record the progress in critical thinking? That's a great question. Yeah, this, is, uh, this has been... Um uh, a hotly debated topic within the within academia, within um, uh, in terms of how you meaningfully attempt to record progress. How do you assess uh, critical thinking skills within young people? And there are a multitude of ways. Uh, critical thinking traditionally has very much focused on rationality and logic, and um, the sort of early initiatives in terms of of attempting to assess critical thinking were often fairly sort of technical um, in their drives and increasingly that, that is opened up. Um, as with any educational initiative, um, research shows us that being able to provide very so, sort of quick feedback, meaningful feedback, the feedback process is all important in how you engage with your young people, with your students. Do they understand where they currently stand in their learning journey? No. Do, they do they currently understand where they need to go? And if you're getting that dialogue right in terms of the feedback and that it's live uh, and that it's meaningful, then you're going to be, uh, inevitably you will facilitate a richer 
skill set in, 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 in the student's ability to be able to think critically. Um, but in, in terms of reducing that experience down into data sets, it can be quite challenging, for sure. And it's debated. Thank you, sir. We have a lot of feedback coming. Please on your answer and your, of course, your session itself. Uh, audience, you can continue posting your questions. We can present them to the speaker, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to answer it. Dr. Yogita Sarwal finds your session as enlightening. So that's great. Thank you. Can I uh, just come in? Uh, sure, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah, good evening. Uh, Mr. Johnson, I think it was very, very enlightening a session. I joined a little late. Oh, sorry for that. But then probably the way you have shown uh, the different schools, so enticing to be part of such schools, actually. Even for a kid who really is a part of that school, probably, you know, loves learning, provided the systems are in place, right? So you mentioned one thing that... Critical thinking and creativity depend on each other. They're integral to each other. But don't you think that, you know, uh, critical thinking, uh, you know, to a certain extent, we call it a problem solving, you know, uh, you know it's a problem solving thing that normally we allow the kids to do. We allow them to uh, employ that skill. Whereas when it comes to creativity, it's your right side of the brain that mm. normally functions in your creative, uh, that is the left side of the brain, this is the right side of the brain. So I think when we say creativity, it's something that doesn't come out of memory. It doesn't come that out of experience. It, it, it nearly comes out of something, that sort of an imagination, the sheer imagination, uh, you know, that outflow of uh, that creativity that comes without having any connection whatsoever to the memory uh, lanes or by lanes. So that way, I just want to ask you how, you know, they, they may be a little bit separate, though they may be integral to one another, but I think creativity requires a different kind of, you know, different kind of an effort, different kind of a skill, different kind of a capability altogether. Yes, I mean, um, no, I mean, that's a good point. I think, I mean, if I, if I talk to your point about critical thinking being, you know, so, you, so you're, for example, being presented with problems and you're attempting to find solutions to those problems as well. That's also an important part of that. So fostering an ability to, to engage with any issue or any topic in a critical fashion, whereby you're comparing, contrasting, you have the ability to analyze and to also um, select relevant sources of information and compare and contrast them with one another. Um, absolutely, you, 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 you have to engage with that issue to be able to analyze it and break it down into its constituent parts. But I would argue further than that. I would say that in order to, to, for you to be a strong critical thinker, you need to also engage, you have a responsibility to also identify solutions to those problems. And I think that's really where you're stepping into the realm of creative thinking and therefore linking into the realm of critical thinking. So the term critico-creative thinking has been, has been coined to underline the fact that you have that responsibility as a strong critical thinker, not only to break down and criticize, if you like, but you have that responsibility as well to engage in to engage in construction, in meaning-making. Absolutely thank you, agree, thank sir. You, thank you so much. Absolutely agree. I think we need to start being more whole-brained individuals rather than just being a left brain or a right brain um, person. I mean, we definitely have both sides functioning, so why not actually use it for better? Now, um, we actually have a comment from the principal of RRIS on the previous question who says that critical thinking can certainly lead to creative solutions to various problems. And I think that that, that definitely sums it up. Yeah, I, if I could just add, as, yeah, that's, that's uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it, there was a study I read recently, a sort of meta-analysis, which looked at actually several hundred schools. And they looked at the ability, they attempted to assess the ability of 
of young people. I think actually it was the age range from 11 years old to the age of 22 years old. And what they found was that the ability of an, of an 11 year old to think critically was almost the same as a 22 year old. There was very little difference between across that spectrum, which is surprising. But if you think about the educational experiences those students had, um, it's, it's unusual for schools to foster critical thinking in a, in a meaningful way, way, whereby it's, for example, a separate program or where critical thinking as a concept is flagged and highlighted within the curriculum. So in some ways, I thought, well, you could as well, you might as well replace the word critical thinking with, for example, piano playing. If you've never exposed your students to a program of piano playing, why would you see any difference between an 11-year-old and a 22-year-old? Um, so schools, I think, need to do, they need to be, they need to foster an environment whereby critical thinking as, as, as an art form, as a way of thinking about the world, and I call it an art form for a very specific reason, um, needs to be formalized within the curriculum. Thank you, sir. Thank you for uh, additional feedback on the question. I think that was quite important, the way you presented it out, you know, especially the facts, uh, the research that you presented. I think that is something that all of us need to be aware of. So the audience, uh, if we, uh, we are, we will be taking on the last questions now. We have time for our last two questions. So if you have any, you can present it right away. Or if you want, you can unmute yourself and ask the question. I'd just like to ask a question. Um, I'm Kavita from uh, Mumbai. I just wanted to check uh, how do the SDGs kind of get uh, built into the curriculum and, and what kind of activity does the child do? And I'm assuming the children coming to the, these schools are children who can influence the world and its direction. So how does that become an integral part of what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are there are there are so many ways of doing that. I think engaging, first of all, engaging with the, the sustainable development goals and understanding, attempting to understand what they're about and where they've come from. Uh, because of course, they, the SDGs, the, the sustainable development goals, uh, inherit the previous initiative as, as operated and, and, and instigated by the United Nations. Um, so I'll give you an example of, well, the, the experiences that I have is is opening up an, uh, an, an exploration of the sustainable development goals with your entire community, with your, with your parent body, with your student body, with your staff uh, body. And schools, generally speaking, have a development plan. They have uh, a set of goals that they, that they identify over a series of years, two, three, five years, whatever it may be. Um, one example could be to look at ways in which you could incorporate those goals into the development plan for the whole school. Um, and you could, in, in a similar kind of way that you could um, attempt to incorporate critical thinking across the entire development plan of your school, you could also incorporate the sustainable development goals. Um, um, one example, for example, at Dulwich College Seoul is um, Safeguarding is a hugely important topic for us. And so we, uh, it, within the agenda of every single meeting within the college, whether it's meetings across the student body or within the staff body, safeguarding is, is one of those agenda items that is always there. In the same way you can incorporate uh, sustainability or other topics related to the climate emergency or related to the sustainable development goals into those meetings. So I guess it, it, it really what I'm saying is that you're fostering, you're attempting to foster a cultural shift within your community that engenders a focus upon these issues. Um, they, 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 they become something, they become, they sit at the heart of, 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 your, of your overall mission and vision. That's another way in which you could do that too. Thank you. Uh, yes, so that answers the questions quite beautifully. We have one last question, if uh, anybody has. 
I just say I just wanted to say uh, greetings to my father. He's there. I can see oh. him. Tap. He's joined us from Iceland. Hi, Yon. <laughs> You're on mute, sir. You're on mute. Uh, this is this a red mic that you can just click on, and then I think yes. Yes, hello. And <laughs> been enjoying this uh, lecture and seeing all the people. Thank you very much. Um, greetings from Iceland. <laughs> Thank you a lot of uh, thank you, sir, for raising such a fine young visionary. If I could say, it is definitely something uh, you have. I must. I'm sure you would have inspired him, right? And today he is inspiring not only us but the the future generation itself. So, I think that is quite commended commendable. Thank you for oh, that. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> All right, audience. So we'll be concluding today's session, which I and I must say it was a very fine session. Thank you so much, Mr. Gurmandal, for joining us today and presenting us such a global uh, educational perspective on a platter. My pleasure, an absolute pleasure to be with you all here today. Yes. Uh, so I think a lot of us would like to connect with you, and uh, so audience will be sharing the contact details, the email ID on the chat box any moment right now you can take it down and i think over the email we can begin a conversation uh, and realize our cumulative mutual goals effectively thank, so, you, uh, thank you so much mr johnson has also shared his linkedin profile so i think that would be a good platform to connect as well thank you so Please much do. sir thank you Bye-bye. Thank you so much, sir. Lots of appreciation from India. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Mr. Johnson, for connecting today. I think it was quite a treat for all of us when we knew that you are also a part of the session today. Thank you so much. Have a great evening, Head. Thank you, audience, for being such a lovely participants today. We'll be connecting tomorrow evening at 5 o'clock with our speaker for tomorrow. Have a great day, Head.